As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on today's episode, we are taking more in-depth looks at some players in the USMNT pool. Last week, it was Tyler Adams, Josh Sargent, Christian Pulisic, Anthony Robinson, and Eunice Musa. This week, five names. We're cutting down a little bit to give us more time to talk about them. Miles Robinson, Walker Zimmerman, Gio Reyna, and Kevin Paredes, and Zach, uh, and Zach Steffen. I missed one in there. See, I'm trying to cut it down too much. We're going to look at what they do well, what they don't do well, what their ideal positions might be. To break all this down, I'm joined by two fine fellows. Up first, it's a man who has volunteered to donate his hamstrings and whatever other muscles might be necessary to make Gio Reyna fit to play again. It's Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. Yes, Taylor, I did come close to making that agreement with Gio after I sat down yesterday and watched a a ton of his footage. And remember just how good he is. I don't really need my hamstrings, right? He can have those at this point. Uh, that, that's very noble of you, Joe. I also will add, uh, yeah, I forgot to write Zach Steffen in the running order on my notes. Uh, and in my panic, I almost called him Zach Turner. And now I'm wondering, Joe, should we just combine those two? Is that what the U.S. needs? Is half half Turner, half Steffen? Does that make the ideal goalkeeper? Oh, it, it might make the ideal U.S. men's national team there goalkeeper of players in the pool. <laughs> it, it also would just save us so much time and, and air on this particular show. <laughs> so I'm here for it. All right. All right. So that's one possible solution. Uh, Joe, I appreciate your flexibility on that. Joining us is a gentleman who puts the word Scottish and football and writer into the phrase Scottish football writer. It's Graham Ruffin. Hi, Graham. (laughs) That I do. That I do, Taylor. It's it's, uh, it's really the only thing that I add to that phrase, you could say. Uh, Thank you. How are you today? Doing well, my friend. I could add podcaster as well. You've been podcasting quite a bit. Do, Do you have a preference between the two, between writing and podcasting? Uh, podcasting, actually. Yeah. I, I do enjoy that a lot. This has been very enjoyable, to be sincere for a moment. The last kind of year and a half, is, this has probably been the most I've enjoyed doing anything. Hey. Uh, I used to write about golf football for an outlet in, in the golf, and that was like pretty tough going, just because I don't really have much of an interest in golf football. Not that I told them that, uh, so this <laughs> is a lot easier than that. I also thought you said golf football. I was like, so you heard about foot golf? What? Like, okay, golf football. Now I'm with you. Now I'm yeah, with you. Yeah, it's PK. Last, new, it's PK's uh, new league, guys. It's PK's <laughs> league. <laughs> yeah, after last week's listener questions where we discussed foot golf, I yeah. decided to dive right into that sport. And I'm now a uh, chief foot golf writer for The Athletic. <laughs> They've expanded into that area. I like it. Uh, Joe, I won't ask you the same question, but I, I do feel like you it's more balanced for you between podcasting sure. and writing. Because I think, I'm assuming writing allows you to like slow down, take your time and figure some things out as you go. It gives me the chance to refine things more, I guess, than on a podcast because, sure, you can reset on a podcast and and to peel back the curtain. I've had to do that plenty of times in the past, but you do have more of a chance to rework thoughts and to really think through some things when you're writing. I try to approach podcasts in a similar way, but I value different things about both of those particular outlets, guys. Yeah, see, I like like podcasting because you can veer into nonsense every so often. (laughs) Like if I put a if I put like a, pa- a paragraph on dude wipes in one of my articles, my editor is going to pick up on that more than <laughs> Taylor does. Is that is that something that you're being paid for? Or are you just shooting horn, shooting in your affinity for dude wipes? 
Oh, we just because we we were uh, talking about them. Ah. When, when I can't even remember it when was that last was. Week, yeah, yeah, that <laughs> yeah was, last week. Yeah, that was a Ryan Bailey original. Let's move swiftly away from Dude Wipes. Let's talk about those five Americans I mentioned. As I said, we we took in depth looks at them to figure out what they're doing, what they could be doing, what they shouldn't be doing, all that good stuff. Graham, let's start with Miles Robinson, a player that mm-hmm. Joe and I have talked about a great deal on this show previously. Uh, sure. A player that I think we both looked at as being one of the more, if not the most reliable center backs in the pool. I came away from this viewing slightly more down on on Miles Robinson than I'd been before we started. What did you make uh, in your viewing experience? He is, he's very much a central defender in the mold of what Berhalter wants from this team, isn't it? I don't, I don't think I'm blowing any minds by saying um, his, his kind of technical ability as a passer is something that he is, he is good at. And looking at his technical and physical attributes, he ticks a lot of the boxes that make him the archetypal modern centre-back. That's not me saying he's the perfect modern centre-back, but in terms of his skill set, it's... It's all pretty much there. You know, he's physically imposing. He's he's pretty athletic. He's capable of the ball at his feet. One of the things that I spotted that I think he is very good at, actually, is is long-range passing. Um, so as far as I can see, he is, he is the, the USMNT's best long-range passer, at least out from the back. Um, he has, Berhalter has other centre-backs who are good with the ball at his feet. He has centre-backs who are maybe better at... Um, driving the ball up the pitch. He has Zimmerman, who we'll come and talk uh, talk about later. He's maybe a more physical, imposing centre-back, but he doesn't really have a centre-back like Robinson who can put the ball in the toes of an attacker from 40 yards away. And it's not just long-range passes either, but diagonal passes. And I, and I wonder if this is something that the US could make better use of with Robinson. Diagonal passes and long-range passes are really good at unsettling opposition defence, at switching things up a little bit. And when you're trying to to do something slightly different in attack, which we have seen from the US in recent matches when maybe they could use a different approach, that that is a, a good way of unsettling opposition defences. And you look at maybe the best example of this, Liverpool make great use of this through Van Dijk and he finds Manny and, and Salah with those, with those passes. And if you look at Robinson's stats, he is in the 89th percentile of MLS defenders over the last year for switches. He's also in the 77th percentile for attempted long passes. So he does have that in, in his arsenal. So when I was looking through his his clips, I'm always looking at, right, what are his strengths and how could the US maybe use those strengths slightly better or more efficiently? And that was the, one of the things that I came up with with Miles Robinson. So this might have been the way I went about my viewing experience with Y Scout, but Y Scout, uh, for people who don't know, that's the thing we use to watch all these little clips of players. Uh, it loads their most recent games first, and I wonder if maybe his distribution for the United States this last window just maybe wasn't up to his usual standard. I saw a lot of long balls, sort of very like high lofted long balls that tended to be cut out. Maybe that's the thing that Burhalter wants him to do, not the cutting out part, but like playing long balls with a little bit of height uh, behind them so that you can get some good 1v1s further up the pitch. But Graham, what sort of distribution did you see that made you like uh, his passing ability? Yeah, so are you, when you're when you're saying there that uh, there were a lot of kind of long balls forward, is that for the US you're talking about? Because yeah. I also mm-hmm. found, yeah, exactly. So for the US, he's he's played as one half of a, an orthodox back two, which is in a back four. That's obviously the most the more common way to reference that. Mm-hmm. But for Atlanta, he's played... Uh, certainly last season he's played in a in a back three so when I was looking at his distribution what he was doing well for Atlanta the angle was there for him to play those diagonal passes which is obviously very important I mean if he's he if he's central on the pitch like he tends to be for the US you you don't really have the angle to play a yeah. diagonal pass so for Atlanta he's he's frequently played he has played as a center center back but I was looking at games he was playing as the right center back and he did have that option and he was sending in diagonal passes into the attackers and and that was maybe where I was thinking hmm that 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 could be useful for the US. By the way, when I was looking through a lot of these defenders and including um Kevin Paredes as well as as a as a wing back, there's a lot of defenders for the US that play in back threes for club level and I was just wondering hmm that's that's interesting maybe uh, a change of shape might get a bit more out of these players in a defensive sense. I don't think Baralter's going to do that, but just something that popped into my mind. Uh, Joe, I think Graham Rutherford is the first person to ever suggest that the U.S. play in a back three. Do you think Twitter would like that idea? <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people on Twitter would like that idea. I don't I don't know. Like Graham says, I don't think it's particularly likely with, with the players yeah. you have to sacrifice to make that shape happen. I'll, I'll jump in on the passing discourse here. I think Miles Robinson does a lot of things very well on the ball. I actually do think he's he's pretty strong at driving forward on the dribble, and I think he's an excellent passer when he has time and space. The the distinction I'll draw from what I've seen of him before 
and from what I've, I've read and heard about him from other people is that when he's under pressure on the ball, that's when things start to get a little bit dicier. I was listening to Extra Time uh, Radio MLS podcast. I'm sure everybody out there already knows about it. But uh, the, the ETR folks were interviewing Gonzalo Pineda. In, in Pineda, Atlanta United's head coach, mentioned how Robinson is good in build-up. So imagine those sequences where maybe it's Zach Steffen playing the ball out to, to Miles Robinson on the right side of the box and, and Robinson's under pressure and having to make some reads there. Pineda said he's good at those situations, but we want to work with him to become better. Something to that effect. That's me paraphrasing. But there's room for him, essentially, Pineda said, to to be better at those particular situations. And I agree with that. I think there's room for for Robinson to polish his game. We, we see a lot of situations where he's on the ball and he is breaking lines and he had some great moments for the U.S. Even in this past window, I know you mentioned the Canada game, guys, but there's other moments in this window and even in the past for the U.S. where, say, the other team is playing a deeper 4-4-2 block. Robinson has time. He'll thread some of those needles between the lines. He's good in those moments. I personally am not sold on his distribution when he is under pressure. And I don't think he or really anyone else in this pool is even really approaching John Brooks's passing level. Now for John Brooks's passing, you have to sacrifice other things like defensive stability, which is something that I think Robinson is the best in the U.S. pool at. And maybe we can talk more about that in a moment. But I think it's a, I think it has to be a slightly more nuanced discussion with Robinson's passing, really with every player's passing. Just the difference between doing that when you have time and space to pick up your head and pick out a pass versus when you have to be thinking two or three steps ahead because you know you're going to be under pressure and build up or, or higher up the field. Taylor, what was it that when you went back and looked at the game tape, what was it specifically that you zeroed in on as something that has, if not changed your mind, made you maybe reconsider Miles Robinson's quality? Yeah, so it's not even his distribution, because I do think uh, we're also going to talk about Walker Zimmerman. Zimmerman does a similar thing with his long balls forward, so I do err on the side of that being a thing that they've been asked to do if they're just going to kind of hope, hopefully play it out of the back to get some height underneath it. I don't have that many concerns with that. The thing that I I saw happen a lot against Canada, but it did happen uh, in other games for the U.S., to some extent for Atlanta, but I would say less so, is that when there's a situation in which, let's say it's Canada, uh, they're they're clearing the ball long, and Robinson is uh, like trying to step to win an aerial challenge, and there's a, a player already there. If, if he doesn't win that ball right away, if he's not the first to it, to win the header, to get a foot to it, whatever it might be, what I saw routinely was he then gets a little bit too aggressive trying to win it immediately after losing the 50-50. When the ball is brought down, he'll step and oftentimes foul. He, he knocks the person in the back, knocks him over, doesn't win the ball, but does concede a free kick, which isn't the worst thing. But there are other times in which he over-pursues, leaves that space behind. I'm already boring my dog. She's asleep. Um, and then because he stepped the way he has, he leaves that space. And if the, if the opposition player lays that ball off, there's like a short, short, long scenario playing in behind. Uh, so I think the way he sort of tries to win but then sometimes gets overly physical and ends up fouling in those 50-50s. I saw it happen routinely that he wasn't winning but was instead fouling and I thought that was like a knock against him. The other one would be that whenever there was a a sort of situation in which he had to close space. Maybe somebody got open, it wasn't his fault. Maybe it was somebody he was marking got open. Either way, when he's closing at speed, but not trying to win the ball immediately, not trying to put them under like immediate pressure, but sort of show them to one side, close it down so they can't get an easy pass or an easy cross. I think he's very good, but sometimes when he is trying to make that like hero play, that really strong defensive action, he over-pursues again and is easy to cut past or just fouls. And I think there's a little bit of clumsiness in his physicality that I think I hadn't noticed uh, first time round. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I've got that down as over eagerness in my mm-hmm. notes against him. Just like sometimes it feels like he commits to covering too much ground to make a tackle and then all of a sudden finds him. We saw that in the Canada game. And and maybe the Canada game, that certainly the first goal, wasn't solely his fault um, because I think we, we were talking about this before we started recording that the goal kick is, is maybe leaves him slightly exposed. But nonetheless, he gets pulled into that tackle when or pulled into the ball when maybe he could have stood off a little bit and all of a sudden Canada are then through. So I had that down as, as over-eagerness, so I, I get that entirely. All right, all right. So I'm not I'm not totally off-base, but Joe, it feels like you have uh, more positivity when it comes to his defending his defensive positioning, at least. I just don't think you can find a 
better or more athletic center back. Uh, let, let me rephrase that. I don't think you can find a more athletic center back in, or someone who's better defensively in the U.S. pool than Miles Robinson, which maybe isn't the standard we should be using. Maybe we should be comparing these players to to higher level players or, or however we want to go about this. But man, Robinson is incredibly athletic. He's very good in the air. And, and the biggest thing, he's not always very good in the air, but I think percentage-wise, he tends to be very good in the air. But maybe the, the biggest thing that all of those attributes lead to is he controls space really well when the U.S. pushes forward. He's not flawless at it, Taylor, to get to your points. He's not going to win the ball every single time. He's not going to escape those situations without fouling every single time. Mm-hmm. But because he's so athletic and can cover so much ground, which maybe comes with a pinch of over-eagerness at times, because he can do those things, he's hugely valuable for teams like the U.S. and teams like Atlanta United that want to push a lot of numbers forward. In that same interview, Pineda was talking about how you know Robinson can control that space because Atlanta pushed 10, you know, 10 players forward into the attacking half. All of those outfield guys, having someone like Robinson who can sweep up the, the plays that come in behind, those inevitable counterattacks that are started by the opposition, I think that's so valuable. And for me, it's, it's a numbers game. It's a trade-off. I think you take Robinson's slight over-eagerness at times, which I admit I haven't noticed a ton in the past, but I'm not denying that it, that it may be there. I think you take those individual moments, you take those mistakes, you take him making and, and losing a 1v1 every once in a while for all of the moments that he does sweep the ball up and start attacks yeah. again for your team. So I'm, I'm really high in Robinson's defensive ability. I'm, I'm less high on his passing ability, which I think is kind of flip-flopped maybe from where both of you guys are. Uh, that's about where I am. I think I'm good with it because even while I'm talking about some of the negatives, I think it's mostly because I've been so positive on him that sometimes like when he doesn't have really, really obvious mistakes on a consistent basis for club or country, Canada game being the outlier because I don't think anyone had a particularly good game. Uh, I think sometimes it's easy to just assume like that player did what they needed to do, similar to Tyler Adams uh, in last week's show. And I think that's why I, I enjoy doing this particular style of show is because it lets us take a longer look at players that maybe sometimes I at least will summarize. It's like, yeah, he's really good. We don't need to talk about him that much more. Uh, so I'm glad we're doing this. I'm glad we've got some ideas about Miles Robinson. I am Slightly apologetic that I forgot to start the timer, which I will remember to do for our next couple <laughs> of players. My my one final question before we move on uh, is for Joe. Uh, Graham mentioned that he functions well in a back three, back five for Atlanta. Yeah. U.S. usually plays in that back four. What do you think his ideal center back position is, Joe? And you can say it doesn't really matter. That's a fine answer. But would you prefer to see him? Do you think he functions better in a back four with those two center backs? Or do you think he's better in a back three? Ah, that's a good question, Taylor. I'm a little torn. I'd probably lean towards him being in a back four as just one of those two center backs to really maximize his ability to cover ground. You know, you almost, with Miles Robinson or someone as athletic as he is, you almost don't need that extra center back defensively because he can do so much of that work. And and because I'm not 100% sold on his passing ability at this point, I don't know that I would lean into that let's play him on the right side of a back three thing with the U.S. especially because I don't know that he brings a ton of added value to that spot that maybe you wouldn't be able to get from other places. So I probably would play him in a back four, but I I love watching him for Atlanta in a back three as that right-sided center back. He's really fun. He can string together some nice long diagonals. He can drive the ball forward on the dribble, and uh, listeners know that I like that stuff. The problem with this episode, I have to say, is that uh, you all say such interesting stuff, I end up writing down... Uh, so much information that it's hard to to keep up to date with it to keep the show moving. So I'm going to get take us to a break. When we come back, we've got four more players to be discussed, and we're going to do it with a timer. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back. We've talked about Miles Robinson. Let's talk about his center back partner, one of his center back partners of late, Walker Zimmerman. Joe, take us through the best things you saw in your viewing of Walker Zimmerman. 
Okay, let's do this thing. Uh, for actually, first, I want to ask both of you guys a question because I think this is it has this the clock informed... started because the answer is yes. <laughs> no, yes, it has. But it should be. I want to ask just a yes or no, simple yes or no. We can get into the nuance in just a minute. Are Walker Zimmerman and Miles Robinson very similar players? Because I think yes. Taylor, yes or no? Yes. Graham, yes or no? I would have said no before the analysis. So I'll go with no for the sake of variety. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Okay, we can talk about all that stuff. For me, I think these guys are are very similar. They're yep. not completely alike. Zimmerman, I don't think, is Miles Robinson level fast, but he still is fast. Don't get me wrong. Zimmerman is taller. He's six foot three, very good in the air, better than Miles Robinson in the air, probably better than any other non-Weston McKenney U.S. player in the air. He was in the 97th percentile in defensive aerial dual win percentage in MLS last year, according to the second spectrum. He's a threat on set pieces, as is Miles Robinson, which we didn't mention before. I really like what Zimmerman can do in the air, and he's good at defending crosses, good at, at really advancing into the box on set pieces and heading some of those things home. Although we haven't seen quite as much of that with the U.S. as I think we could over time. Really strong, really physical, and maybe a little stronger and more physical than Robinson. So there, there's some discrepancies here. We saw that strength on his goal, guys against El Salvador, where he just literally bodies someone. He power forwards someone underneath the basket and then turns and scores that goal against El Salvador. He can pass the ball well at times. Is that think, Honduras or El Salvador? Oh, shoot. Honduras. Excuse me, Taylor. Thank you. Um, I, I think Zimmerman is... Again, a capable passer when he has time and space. He likes to get the ball on his right foot. He likes to play little clip passes over the top. That is something we saw a lot against El Salvador. He likes to find a checking number nine. He found Jesus Ferreira dropping back in that game. And Peralta also used him as a, as a way to switch the point of attack away to Jamaica, which I think is, is maybe some of those long passes that you guys were discussing in the last segment when you mentioned Walker Zimmerman. He hit like 15 of those long diagonals with his right foot, and very few of them came off as, as very little came off for the U.S. in that particular game against Jamaica. But he has some quality on the ball in particular moments. Those are a lot of the things I like about Robinson. Quickly, the things I, I don't think he's as good at. He can be a little slow to move his feet and to change directions in tight spaces. And this is something yeah. that I don't think he does as well as, as Miles Robinson. I didn't necessarily expect this because I'm not going to lie. I hadn't noticed a ton of this in the past. Maybe that's because he plays for Nashville in Major League Soccer who don't do a ton of really adventurous defending. So he doesn't a lot of the time have a ton of ground to cover. But I went back through some of the clips. In, uh, in World Cup qualifying, 2-0 win over Mexico. Taylor, you were at that game in Cincinnati. 81st minute, Carlos Rodriguez gets by Zimmerman at the top of the box. Zimmerman has cover in that moment, and Mexico don't score or really threaten a whole lot in that particular sequence. But Zimmerman doesn't change direction quickly enough to track Rodriguez and really force the ball away from goal. So that's that's one thing I've noticed about him. There were sequences like that against Orlando in, in MLS Cup playoffs and other times for Nashville, even though, like I said, I don't think they happen a ton that is that is one thing that I don't love about Walker Zimmerman. He's not that top-tier, quick, explosive at- athlete in those really tight spaces. But still, man, he's, he's a reliable defensive presence, at least relative to other center backs that the U.S. has. And I think he's a really important part of this U.S. team. I, I like Walker Zimmerman, but, Zimmerman, but that is his you know, big-button weakness for me. Is if, you, if you can turn him, he, he, he is quite cumbersome he doesn't have that recovery pace that maybe the top center backs do have in, in, in the modern game and if I'm an opposition attacker I'm saying to my teammates look we we play the ball quickly around him you know one twos quick exchanges and try to expose him that way and I, and I think that is maybe the thing Zimmerman clearly is, is a very high quality MLS center back but, that, but that's maybe the thing when you look at the guys who have made that jump to Europe in, in their career and obviously a lot of Americans are doing that you know Chris Richards playing in the in the Bundesliga Miles Robinson likely to get that move at some point in the future you would say that is maybe the thing that has held Zimmerman back is he doesn't have that physical attribute and so you you need to compensate for that and he can carry the ball up the pitch I noticed in the the first, um, these three game windows are messing with my mind. The first game in the last window was <laughs> El Salvador. El Salvador. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, against El Salvador, he seemed to be the one that was bringing the ball up to the up to the halfway line. I watched that game live and I thought that was quite notable at the time. But then you're compensating for if you lose that ball, then Walker Zimmerman is on the halfway line. He's high up the pitch and he's probably not getting back to make a recovery. Although his recovery stats aren't actually terrible. He's in the 64th percentile for ball recoveries but he's in the 23rd percentiles for tackles one, which isn't ideal um, for a, for a centre-back, I guess. So he, he does have weaknesses, but that's not to say that I, I don't think he's a solid performer for the US. You kind of you um, know what you're getting with Walker Zimmerman, I think. 
One question for both of you, uh, which might sound a little bit loaded. Uh, how often did you see him get turned? Because I agree with you, there is that concern about if you're able to get around him, if you're able to turn him, then does he have the recovery speed? And the answer is probably no. But uh, at least in these games, and, and going back to a couple Nashville games as well, I felt like I saw him being very, very aggressive in when he was stepping to win loose balls. Yes. Joe, we talked about that a couple times. That yep. he, if he senses there's a ball to be won, he is going in and he is going in <laughs> hard. There yeah. is no sort of like, oh, I might not win this. He is winning it. Maybe, maybe also like horrifically fouling a player, but oftentimes <laughs> winning it. But the other thing I did see was that when he would make the read of, oh, this player is going to receive that 50-50 ball like with their chest. They're going to bring it down with their foot. I did feel like he was pretty good at sort of stopping and getting his feet set in a good defensive position behind them that didn't really allow them to turn, that forced them back. He kind of got into their back, let them know he was there, and I didn't often see him get turned, but I'm aware that I might have just been watching a few games and letting that weight things. Did you all see him get turned? Not, it, not, for, not, not for the U.S. Okay. Um, have to say, on you go, Joe. Yeah, I was just going to say, it happens from time to time, but it's not a, a huge feature of his game just because the teams that he plays for, the U.S. and Nashville, they play very differently, but a lot of the time there's defensive structure around those players, especially with Nashville. Man, when they're playing a back three like they did for stretches of last season, he's got numbers around him, he's got numbers in front of him given how Gary Smith wants to play. He's not forced to do a ton of really quick direction changing. Even with the U.S., I don't think he's I forced see. to do a ton of that because he, he's able to just track somebody down. He'll, he'll be given the same job as Miles Robinson in that Baralter's going to say to them, okay, you guys have to control the space in our half when we push forward. But Zimmerman can cover that ground, right? He's athletic enough to do that job and get back without having to deal with a ton of the nuanced, am I going to be able to stop a, a Mexican national team player driving right at me and combining in zone 14? The U.S. doesn't have to face a ton of that stuff outside of Mexico. So that's the, I don't know, the the nuance there, I guess. That Okay, that makes more sense. So then it's basically if he's thrust into those more nuanced situations, that's where we might see him struggle with some of those 1v1s with sure. some of that uh, getting turned in space. Any other uh, strengths or weaknesses? Uh, Graham, we'll start with you. I think his, in terms of his strength, his, his aerial presence in both box has to be mm. has to be mentioned. I'm going to throw some some numbers out there. So Joe, brace yourself. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> he's in the 96th percentile for expected goals among MLS defenders over the last year. He's in the 80th percentile for expected assists as well. He's in the 99th percentile for touches in the attacking penalty area. So obviously, I'm focusing here on his on his uh, on his goal threat. And I think good good teams tend to have a centre back who can get up for set pieces and offer a goal, thro- a goal threat. You look at Van Dyke does it for Liverpool, Sergio Ramos has done it all the way through his career, and obviously I'm not saying Zimmerman is up to that level or anywhere close, but he, if he can get a goal or two for the US at important times, that's valuable. You know, if, if they can find, I know there's a big discussion over the who's taking the set pieces for the US, but let's say they get that settled for the World Cup. Having Zimmerman, if other things are not working for the US, having Zimmerman getting up into the box and getting his head on the end of a cross, or to be honest, he's pretty decent with his feet in terms of getting a shot away in the box. I saw a couple of efforts, you know, he takes it down on his chest and he gets a a volley away. He's, He's pretty handy with his feet in the opposition box as well. So having someone like him, just to add a, you know, another edge to that US M&T team, uh, to that side... That's that's valuable in itself. So I think that has to be mentioned as one of his, his his biggest plus points. Joe, any final points for Walker Zimmerman before we keep this rolling? I'll retweet Graham's uh, statements about set pieces and Zimmerman's offensive ability. The only other thing I'll add is he'll make occasionally just this epic. We don't see it as much with the U.S., but this epic driving run with the ball at his feet, and he'll dribble past like eight guys and get into the box, and you have to rewind the tape because you think surely that didn't just happen. I love that about Walker Zimmerman. And for that reason alone, I hope we see him a whole bunch more down the road. And Joe, really, really challenging question before we keep moving. Uh, would you play him at center back? No, number nine. Gen- like, <laughs> genuinely, though, if the U.S. is ever in a situation where, you know, maybe Baralter doesn't bring PFOC to the World Cup, maybe he doesn't bring e- even a guy like Zardes to the World Cup, uh, get Zimmerman up there in the 90th minute if the U.S. is trailing, because he is, he is a, a real option and a real target in the box in a way that a lot of other the, U.S. players just aren't. The PK role. The the USMNT's PK. There we go. All right, all right. So we're moving uh, Walker Zimmerman to number nine or center back, whichever one. Uh, Graham, where would you have Kevin Paredes play? Um, At 
left like wing back in a back yeah. five am i now uh-huh. just moving the us into a back five like but has got no way. choice it in this like yeah <laughs> yeah it does i mean it, you know who cares about eliminating the wide forwards which is where the us is maybe the strongest in their whole roster who needs them you know we've got uh, kevin paredes on on the left side of a of a back five and i am I, um, I liked a lot of what i saw from paredes when i looked back at the of the tape he's a player that i'm not especially familiar with, caught a bit of him in MLS last year for anyone who doesn't know the broadcast rights in the UK. We get a lot of NYCFC and uh, LA Galaxy in the middle of the night and not much else. So uh, there, there's not a lot of uh, kind of DC United games uh, being broadcast here. But yeah, I liked what I saw from the, from the tape. What in particular did you enjoy? So... Uh, this is something we're seeing more and more from fullbacks who are being they're being asked to uh, drive the ball through the middle, and I saw a lot of that from Kevin Predis, even though he has you know a a, a wing back um, or has been a wing back for for DC. Um, you look at the number of times that he ends up in, in a more central position. Cancelo does this a lot for Man City. We've spoken about Dani Alves doing it for Barcelona against Atletico a couple of weeks ago. And Predis has that sort of thing in his skill set. However, when we talk about Cancelo and Alves playing in this way, it's often that they will push up into central midfield to allow a midfielder to push on themselves. When I see Predis um, driving centrally rather than choosing to, to drive out on the wing, which is maybe something that uh, that Robinson would do, I see flashes of Kieran Tierney. Uh, I'm so used to seeing Tierney do that. First for Scotland, he did it a number of times because we have to play Robinson and Tierney, so he has no choice. He can't really go out wide. He has to go through the centre. But we're now seeing it a lot for Arsenal as well, where Kieran Tierney will have two options. He either goes out to the wing or he drives through the centre and he'll drive through the centre and it's really, really effective at opening up space. And I saw that in Robinson. He's in the 89th percentile for progressive carries, the 88th percentile for carries into the final third, and the 81st percentile for carries into the opposition penalty area. So the stats basically reflect what I was seeing in the eye test. He is very, very good at getting the ball up the field. And in contrast to Robinson, who will go out wide and get across into the box, I saw a lot of central uh, drives from uh, Paredes. I love that, Graham. And that, that totally lines up with some of my thoughts as well. I have in my notes... Paredes usually occupies, usually, emphasis on usually, occupies the wing, the wide area for DC as at left wing back, but he can rotate centrally, either off the ball or he'll make those runs centrally with the ball at his feet, and he is so good at progressing the ball on the dribble. He was one of the best left backs or left wing backs in MLS last year at driving the ball forward and really able to beat a guy from that spot as well. He's quick. He's he's not the strongest guy, but he's quick and fast, so I think he does a lot of that stuff very well. And one thing that I like, and I appreciate that you drew this this comparison and this contrast, Graham, is thinking about Paredes, Paredes's, challenging to say, game versus uh, A-Rob's game, right? A-Rob is, I, I talked about this last week, he's like the classic mid-2010s fullback, right? He's going to stay wide, he's going to overlap. He's a pretty simple player to analyze, and, and in a lot of respects, he's a pretty simple player to game plan for if you're the opposition. Not to say that he doesn't bring valuable things, because he does, and we've talked about those things. But Paredes... He is the modern outside defender, right? He, he is that guy. The, the, the modern role for those outside players has changed from being the stay wide, hug the, uh, hug the touchline, get chalk on your boots, and put a cross in. It's changed from that to these really hyper-versatile players who can come inside, be an extra number in central midfield, or at least combine in those spaces, drive forward and allow positional rotations to happen around them. That's now the requirement, or at least that's where the trend is, is taking us or has taken us for those outside players. And Paredes can do that kind of stuff. He's capable of, of being inside. Heck, he even played as a 10, not under Hernan Losada last year, but uh, the year before, I believe, under Ben Olsen for DC United, he played as a 10 in a 4-4-2 diamond. He's done a whole bunch of stuff. Last year under Losada, he played left wing back, as we've mentioned. He also played as that left inside forward, underneath a, a number nine on the left with probably Paul Areola on the right or whoever it was on that side. He's positionally versatile. He's comfortable in more spaces than a lot of other U.S. players are. And I I really like that out of a left wing back. And I like this, in a more macro sense, this trend that soccer is seeing of players being more versatile, especially those wide defenders. So those are all things I like about Paredes. Now I'm going to pour just a a dash of cold water on this whole thing before Uh I turn it back to you, Taylor. He's not very good at passing. Uh, I don't know if, if that's just me. Um, I don't know why I find that so funny. He, he can absolutely it. whip. He can whip a ball in with his left foot into the box. And I know I just said he's not this crosser, but he can be, right? And, and on a team with Julian Gressel, the crossing standard is pretty high at DC United. And, and, and Paredes can really whip some balls into the box. 
But when it comes to progressing the ball from deeper down the field, either in buildup or in, in possession, maybe in the middle third, he's not all that effective at bypassing defenders. He's not much of a distributor from that left wing back spot. And this is when I, I say he's 18, so calm down, Joe. Yeah, but I do exactly. think that's something to note as we watch him with Wolfsburg. We haven't mentioned this yet. Just moved to Wolfsburg at the end of January, $7.35 million fee. One of the largest fees, outgoing fees in MLS history. He's a talent, and Wolfsburg clearly view him as a talent. That is one thing I'll be watching from him. Maybe the thing I'll be watching from him to see how that, that part of his game, the passing part of his game develops over the next year or two. I think if you can get players around him, you can quite easily unsettle him. Is something that I saw yes. in, in, in the game mm-hmm. tape. He's 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 only um, in the twenty third percentiles for percentile for passes under pressure, and I think that illustrates a lot of what he's still got to iron out in his game. As you say, Joe, he's he's eighteen years old. There are still some technical flaws in his game. In fact, there's a lot of technical flaws in his game, but that is to be expected. And the fact that, as you say, Wolfsburg have paid that money for him, I'd be excited. Despite those technical flaws, I think he has got a a lot of the attributes that you look for in a a modern wide defender. Um, And it wouldn't surprise me if before too long, I think the the World Cup's probably going to come too early for him to be a first team figure. But in in the next two to three years, it wouldn't surprise me if he is forcing his way into becoming a lock in in the U.S. team. Graham, how did you feel uh, he handled physicality? Because the other thing I had, I have a lot of what you all said. The one thing that stood out to me, though, it felt like most of the time he was on the ball and got into sort of 1v1 duels or came under pressure, it ended almost all the time with him on the ground. And it was either having (laughs) been fouled and shoved over or just having been dispossessed and falling over. There were moments when I have in my notes, there were Bambi qualities to his dribbling, which is to say slightly uncoordinated at times, but I'm with you that he's very good carrying the ball most of the time. It just seemed like when he got those sort of that pressure, when he wasn't sure quite what he was going to do, it made him panic a bit more than focus down. Yeah, I mean, he he's not only 18, he looks 18, right? I mean, yeah. I watched the, I swear I'm going somewhere with this, I watched the Wayne Rooney documentary the other night, and Wayne Rooney bursts onto the scene as a 16-year-old, and I swear he looks like a 30-year-old man. <laughs> uh, yes. Whereas uh, Kevin Paredes, you look at him, it is quite clear he's got a bit of muscle to pack on still. Um, a bit of physicality to add to his game and opponents recognize that you know he he is I keep going back to that word raw he's he's very raw the the foundation of his game is pretty sound with the exception of that passing thing but I think he I think he can improve on that it's not so much that he can't pass a ball it's more that he's lacking the composure and the physicality to give him that space to pack pass a ball um but yes absolutely physicality is something that I don't think he can cope with terribly well at this moment but then you make the point that you, you could make the point that as a as a left-sided defender and certainly in a in a back five as a wing back physicality is not something that at this point at right now he needs to really have to succeed you know it's not something that is a deal breaker for him if he was a center back for example that that would be a bit of a deal breaker but it's, it's not for him uh joe paredes also called into uh camp under berhalter uh where do you think he fits for the u.s uh, hmm. if and when he makes that debut given that we're unlikely to see them see them in a back three although graham is really doing his best to shift us that way <laughs> where do you think he would uh function well in a berhalter system unlikely to see the u.s in a back three on a regular basis i would amend that too slightly Fair. but yes, yes yes taylor a left back for me is the spot for him i don't know that he has I, and maybe he could be a left-sided attacking player right on that left wing tucking inside. And like I mentioned before, he's done that kind of stuff. But I think maybe you want to take advantage of him driving the ball forward from those deeper areas. Some of this is contingent on him being able to improve his passing because that is something that I think brings a lot of value from deeper downfield, like in buildup or in the middle third. But I like him getting a chance to arrive in the box on the weak side as that left-sided you know, defender if the ball is on the right side for the U.S. And I like his ability to progress the ball and the dribble from those spaces and then provide some, some rotation opportunities further up the field. So left back is where I would have him, but I, I do want to see him improve in some of those areas that we talked about. And I will add... Uh... Graham putting him in the Kieran Tierney category is is no small praise there. Graham, that, that's that's about as high praise as I think you can give out to an American player. It is. I mean, if I'd, uh, the only higher level is if I Billy. described him as Andy Murray, but that oh, might have been slightly confusing. <laughs> where does where does Billy Gilmore fall in the in the tier play. of high praises? <laughs> Uh, oh, that's tricky. Gilmore is, is, is pretty close to Tierney. They might okay. be on level pegging, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just right, had so to know for future, that's all. So okay, it's Andy Murray... 
Kieran Tierney, Billy Gilmore, and Kieran Tierney and Billy Gilmore are really, really close. Yeah, that, okay, that's cool. true. Depend, it, dep- it really depends on how much Norwich fans are hating Gilmore as to uh, whether Gilmore is above or below Kieran Tierney. And when Norwich fans hate, hate Gilmore, I, I actually have him higher just to spite Norwich fans. Follow-up question. Where does a mutton pie with brown sauce oh, You beat me to it. That was my next question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's above everything and everyone. Ooh, okay. Yeah. I have something to achieve, ladies oh, and gentlemen. Oh, my God. Joe, I love you. Graham, I love you, too. <laughs> Listeners, we love you. Uh, we'll be back after a short break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. All right, listeners, welcome back. We're getting into the meat of it because we've got a goalkeeper and an attacker who theoretically still exists. Joe, let's talk Zach Steffen, strengths, weaknesses, and best position. I'm going to go ahead and say goalkeeper is probably the best <laughs> position. I've saved you some time. Thank you. Man, that was You're really welcome. kind of you. I do, I do what I can. I feel like I've kind of said everything I can say about Zach Steffen at this point. And so I really, as I sat down to try to come up with some original notes here, tried to think outside the box a little bit, literally, mm-hmm. actually. Oh, I didn't even mean to do that. Ah, okay, Daryl is proud of me right now because the first point I'm going to make is Steffen, and one thing that differentiates him from other goalkeepers in the U.S. pool right now is that he generally controls the space in front of, outside of his box when his team is higher up the field. Steffen, like I mentioned with Paredes being more of a, a modern left-sided defender or an outside defender. Stefan is more of a modern goalkeeper in the sense that he controls space. He'll step forward. He'll do that Manuel Neuer circa 2012 thing. Like, that's finally hit the mainstream. He'll he'll step forward out of his box and sweep play, <laughs> right? That That's the, the guy he is. He's more aggressive when when shots aren't coming at him and every other thing in, in the goalkeeper's responsibilities. He's more aggressive than most U.S. goalkeepers, right? He'll, he'll play with the ball at his feet. He'll step forward outside of his box. He'll sweep up plays. He's not always the best at some of those things, but he'll do that stuff. And I think generally speaking, it is a strength of his that he's willing to control some of that space. It's the same idea as Miles Robinson, right? When your numbers, and, and Zimmerman, when your numbers are pushed up high up the field, Having someone who can help control that space and behind and stop counterattacks is important. And that's why the whole sweeper-keeper thing came to be in the first place. That's one strength for Stefan, something that I like about his game. Another thing, he can string together some really nice passes. You know, we've seen that with City. We've seen that at times with the U.S. in the past. He is not Ederson or Allison or Neuer or Ter Stegen, but he can do a lot of those things in a way that, again, few players in the U.S. pool can those are strengths of his game. He is not the most consistent passer in the goalkeeper spot in the world, but he can do some of that stuff. The things that I've said before, what feels like a thousand times now, is I believe he's an inconsistent shot stopper. And that doesn't mean he doesn't make big saves. He does make big saves. Example, 2-0 win over Mexico. I referenced it earlier. Woke up qualifying. First half, Chucky Lozano is in behind the entire U.S. defensive shape. And Stefan makes a huge save. He gets down to his left, stops a shot, pushes it wide. Big moment keeps the U.S. level, and if that goal goes in, maybe the U.S. doesn't get all those three points at home, and we're looking at them being in a very different spot in the World Cup qualifying table. He had some great saves for City in the Community Shield earlier this year. I'm not saying he can't make those saves. I'm just trying to stop people from from tweeting and emailing there. But statistically, and according to the eye test, which are really not all that different— There are concerns about his shot stopping. Negative 3.1 post-shot expected goals, which means instead of just measuring the value of a shot from where it's taken, it measures the value of a shot in terms of of where it falls on the goal mouth, right? So if it's going to be upper 90, it's going to have a goalkeeper is not going to be penalized all that much for letting it in. If it's right in the the bread basket, then you're looking at a different situation there. Negative 3.1 post-shot XG, according to Statsbomb, during his stretch as Dusseldorf starting goalkeeper on loan from City in 1920. Negative 2 and 0.1, respectively, in, in post-shot expected goals during his last two seasons in Columbus. 
he is at, at best statistically pretty average as a shot stopper, and at worst, he's pretty poor, which I think lines up with a lot of what we've seen from him in the past. I've been talking for forever. I'm not really going to go through my examples, although I do have them and would be happy to share them if the conversation comes back to me. But man, I, I think... I think Stefan is exactly the player that I feel like we've all been talking about him as being. Interesting and modern in some senses, a weakness at times when the ball is coming at him, and, and I think that's just who he is at this point. Uh, Graham, Joe has talked about Z- uh, Zach Stefan many times, as he said on the show. You haven't had quite as many opportunities. Uh, <laughs> w- where are you on Mr. Stefan's distribution, shot-stopping abilities, and any other ca- qualities? I'm al- I'm almost slightly scared to offer any contribution on the whole Stefan Turner thing, <laughs> just because <laughs> it's just because Wade it's in, such Ray. it's such a Wade yeah in. it's such like a pin your your flag to the to the pole sort of thing. It's like a, the Oasis versus Blur. That's a very British reference, by the way. The Oasis versus Blur of the USMNT. Whether you go with Stefan or or Turner, uh, Stefan is very much Blur, by the way, and uh, Turner is very much Oasis. But yeah, I think I think uh, Joe has pretty much covered everything. Really, I, I, I'm not sure I have much more to offer. Partly because with goalkeeping, I think the analysis of goalkeeping um, is maybe slightly more limited. I'm sure there's a lot of deep data on, on goalkeeping that is out there, and people have a much better grasp on it than I do. Um, but I don't have that capability. So when you look at his contribution, you're looking at you know um, his distribution, his shot stopping. Is he good claiming a cross or or a set piece? And I think we all kind of know what his what his uh, strengths and, and weaknesses are. So one thing I would say in terms of, of a strength of Stefan, you know, a lot of people when they when they talk about him coming off his line, they think of him doing sort of manual Neuer things and coming out and making a clearance to stop a ball going in over the top and, a, and an, a, an opposition attacker getting in on goal. But the number of times that I've seen Stefan make a save from the the six yard line when another keeper yeah. would have stayed closer to the goal line. And I do think that is really good. You know, it's not just that, as I say, he co- he's coming out to make clearances and interceptions. I think he has a good understanding of how coming off your line, even if you're not going to get to the ball first, it can help a goalkeeper narrow the angle to make a save. And so maybe he is masking some of his, um, shot stopping weaknesses or certainly in contrast to, to Matt, someone like Matt Turner those weaknesses he's he is masking those with a greater awareness of right I can narrow the angle by being in this position if I come slightly off my line to the six yard box that's going to make it harder for them to get past me so I, I do think he's quite an intelligent player is one thing I, I would have in in his box I would, I would tick that box I think he is quite intelligent but as I say, it feels like Turner versus Stefan is uh, a subject that people get very heated and have their own opinion about. So I would agree with a lot of what you just said there, Graham, because I, I do think that's a thing we've come to learn about Pep Guardiola is that he wants intelligent players who are very coachable and can do what's asked of them. So I, I don't doubt that. I do have some questions for you, Joe, about that shot stopping or the concerns about shot stopping. Is it all shots or are there particular shots or particular mm. styles of shots? Because... Rewatching some of his games for City and for the U.S., it feels like when he is making saves on instinct, when there's a point-blank header, he seems to react well to those. He seems to handle those effectively. What I did see that made me slightly nervous was when he's getting shots from mid-range or outside the box, if he doesn't get his footing right, which seemed to happen at least three or four times when I was watching, it tends to be a parry instead of a a catch or a punch or anything like that. And the parry seems to go right back to the middle of the pitch. Ideally, if you're a goalkeeper, you're pushing that out to the side or you're pushing it over the bar. And so that was where those kind of mid to long distance shots seemed to be more problematic. And it made me think that when he has time to think about it, it's the David De Gea thing a little bit. When you have time to think and know that you should be making a play, sometimes people don't work as effectively as when they just have to play on instinct. So that was my read on him, Joe. Where are your concerns about his shot stopping? Taylor, I think that's a great observation. And I, I wish I had more specific, detailed mm-hmm. analysis of the types of shots that he struggles with. The one thing I did notice to add to the analysis that you just put out there, Taylor, is the examples I was going to list earlier both come at the near post. And, and that's one thing that I, I notice as a sort of trend with goals that Stefan has conceded for the national team over the last couple of years now. Nations League final, right? I guess 2021, so not even this year, but last year now, gets megged at the near post by a really strong shot from Tecatito. It, it comes in hot, but Stefan isn't able to close the gap between his legs and get down to block that shot, which is something that I know goalkeepers are, are taught to do. So that's one thing. And, and another goal that I thought was was somewhat... 
I don't know, somewhat damning of Zach Steffen is getting beaten at the near post by Lucas Cavallini against Canada in the Nations League. This is a, a few years back now, I guess 2019. But it's a pretty savable shot. It's the second goal of that game, again, at the near post. That's a challenge for Stefan. That's one thing that I did come out of this thinking, okay, I'm going to watch that a bit more closely going forward. But I'm guessing if we go back through the, the tape, Taylor, what you said is going to be there, what I said is going to be there. There's probably a few other categories, too, that all lead to Stefan being a, a somewhat inconclusive or at least inconsistent shot stopper in net for the U.S. or for City or for whoever. The one thing, I guess, to kind of close my thoughts on Stefan, I would just love to see him play. You guys, like, I would love to see him get a move. I'm sure he's learned a lot from training under Pep and the goalkeeping coaches there, especially. I'm sure he works a lot more with them than he does with Pep. But I would love to see him play. You know, I referenced that that season, that part of the season in Dusseldorf. Like, can he get a, a job at a, a decent enough team at a high enough level in Europe that we can really get more data on his shot stopping ability, where he can get more in game reps? Right. I mean, I, I, I agree, Graham. I think he could get a job. If I'm Stefan, man, I want to get a move. I want to go play games. And I think as an analyst myself, I would like to see that so we can get more info. Maybe he doesn't feel that pressure. Maybe he's enjoying City and, and, and winning trophies there. And he's apparently still Baralthur's number one when he's fit and healthy. So maybe that pressure is not really coming from the U.S. men's national team side of things. So maybe he stays at City. But but selfishly, I'd like to see him move. He. He gets a he gets a Premier League loan move or a or a good level Bundesliga loan move easily in my opinion if he wants it if he wants it like he might be quite happy training with those guys at City obviously best team in Europe potentially right now and playing in the cup competitions and a few Premier League games in the season he might be happy with that he might feel he's learning more from that but if he wants to play every game I think it's there for him. Do you all think his time with Man City would have better prepared him to play, let's say, that the Honduras game in the freezing cold when Matt Turner had nothing to do and was just running back and forth? That feels <laughs> like something Zach Steffen does for Man City all the time, is sort of stand there and watch his team Honestly. attack for 85 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I feel like he would have been he would have been well-suited to that sort of environment. Taylor, that's you're so right. At first, I thought you were going to make a cold reference, but I was thinking, man, Turner's probably pretty well-suited to that cold, or at least as, as well as you can yeah. be playing in New England. But, but yeah, Taylor, you're right about that. City, don't <laughs> give him a ton to do. One one of the best Super Bowl jokes was I don't if, don't know if, if anyone saw what Kanye West was wearing at the Super Bowl. It was like a big kind of black yeah. soft mask <laughs> thing over his face, and someone tweeted, "Matt Turner's at the Super Bowl." <laughs> <laughs> All right, final Matt Turner Zach Steffen question for you both: If you're grading them both on shot stopping and then distribution, like if we're giving them a report card, Joe, what is Matt Turner's grade for shot stopping and for distribution? Uh, it's an A for shot stopping. It's a C for distribution. And then what about for Zach Steffen? It's a C for shot stopping oh, and, and maybe a B plus or a B for distribution. Maybe my, maybe my distribution standards are just too high and I've been watching too many really good goalkeepers. I don't know. Graham, what about you? I would be I I would say similar, but I would have him as as an A minus for positioning. I'm just creating another category okay. there for, to, to confuse things. <laughs> I think I think Zach Steffen is really good at, at, at at positioning himself on the pitch, um, knowing where he needs to be and things like that. So, and I, and I don't see that from Turner necessarily. I think he is a pure shot stopper. So, so as you... I say, it's very much like who you who you prefer seems to be a very sort of ideological question when it comes to this team. So, it's, if it's you don't prefer Zach Steffen, then you hate soccer and you hate yeah. Barcelona. <laughs> That's probably all accurate. Uh, final player to be discussed is Mister. Gio Reyna, uh, a player who I am confident still exists uh, on the the weekly checkup of will he be back soon? The answer is yes, he will be back soon. He is in training. We've talked about this many times. Graham, it had been a very long time since I watched Gio Reyna. We talked about this a little bit before we started Same. recording. To watch him again is a reminder of just how good he is and maybe how good he is as the best player in the pool. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's good, man. Like I know we all knew that. I knew we all knew that, obviously. But as as you referenced there before that we started recording, we both kind of were chatting to each other, saying, "What has he always been this good?" Yeah, uh, he is. Watching him, the thing that struck me watching him was he is very much a player that the US are lacking right now. Um, the US, you know, they have players like Wea and Pulisic who can get in behind. They stretch the pitch. They have good vertical movement, pace, etc. But Reyna gives them gives the US something a little bit different, or certainly does when he's fit. 
And I think he is very good at working in tight spaces. He's so good on the ball. He has such a low centre of gravity that he, he's able to do his best work in tight spaces. And he can play in quick transition because obviously you have to be able to when you're a Dortmund player. But he's just very good at, at picking open a, a defence, not necessarily with a pass or an assist. I'll go on to that. That may be the one area when you look at his stats he could certainly lift. But in terms of producing something, a shot from outside the box, he is, he's an excellent shooter. Um, I think that the, his quality as a shooter is reflected in some of his numbers. He is in the 72nd percentiles for goals per shots on target. He's in the 94th percentile for non-penalty expected goals per shot. He's in the 93rd percentile for average shot distance, which basically means he's taking a lot of long-range shot. However, that's that's all the more impressive when you consider his accuracy statistics are, are so good as well. So... I think um, he just would offer the US something a little bit different if they have, you know, Pulisic on the left, who is primarily in there to to kind of provide vertical movement. And then you have Reyna, who can kind of produce something on the edge of the box. That's another question about Reyna. Where, where do you play him? Because obviously he can play on the right. He has played on the left numerous times for Dortmund. He can play through the middle as a, as a number 10, although not in a traditional number 10 role. That's a question with Reyna. How do you fit him into the team? But in terms of his individual quality, yes, he, he might be the most naturally talented player the U.S. has right now. Graham, I'm really glad you mentioned the low center of gravity because the number of times he took hits and kept on dribbling uh, in the footage I watched really stood out to me. And I'm not sure if it's just because some of the players we've already talked about weren't as tidy in possession, but I do feel like that's a thing that the U.S. has been lacking. I mean, it's basically what the criticism of Pulisic has been, is that he's good with the ball at his feet historically, but lately hasn't had that that next year, hasn't really been able to go at defenders and make them uncomfortable, ride those tackles, and just continue to compound issues for the defense. Reina does that so routinely for club and country that I, I got mildly nostalgic for having Giorena back in this team. I do want to talk about his positioning and where he best fits for Greg Berhalter. But Joe, I first want to hear your thoughts on uh, Giorena's strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, man, a literal strength is his strength. His center of gravity, his his his, uh, his speed, all of those things in tight spaces. Maybe quickness is a better term than speed. A lot of the things that you guys have already mentioned. He's so good in combination play, very, very technical, likes to get on the ball in the half spaces, will play centrally, Graham mentioned all that stuff. One thing that we haven't mentioned yet that I like about his game is he can cut the ball back really well from the right half space. And that's where I would probably play him for the U.S. to to look ahead slightly. I would play him on that right wing and have him drift inside and be that right half space player. I think he is really good with that right foot, especially when he has a chance to cut the ball back. You know, he's, He's effective in those particular situations. One other thing that I think he's really good at is set pieces. He hasn't played for the U.S. since uh, since September, the very first World Cup qualifier against El Salvador. Um, he's been dealing with a hamstring injury ever since then. But he had a couple of phenomenal free kicks in that game. The, the first one that I want to discuss is the, the one that's right on the money to Miles Robinson. That Robinson heads over the bar, but that would have given the U.S. a one nothing lead early in that game. And, and again, could have changed how and, and where the U.S. was sitting in World Cup qualifying in terms of the standings. But that ball with his right foot was right on the money to Robinson. Had another few really good set pieces in that game. One, I believe, that was drifted in over the top to Josh Sargent on the left side of the box. It was just right on the money. He's incredible in those particular situations, in those dead ball situations. I like almost everything about Giorena. The, the couple things that I don't love as much is he doesn't make a ton, as Graham said, a ton of those line-breaking, line back-line-breaking off-ball runs. Although I am optimistic, cautiously optimistic that he'll make more of those with the U.S. maybe than he has been in the past, or at least he'll make more of them when necessary. He made one, he he got off the bench for Dortmund not this past weekend, he was sick, but the weekend before, he got a 30-minute cameo and had a really good run in behind the back line and a shot that that didn't come off in, in terms of a goal, but was a nice effort nonetheless. I think he can do those things, but he doesn't do a ton of them, and the only other thing is he can be a bit indecisive at times because he's so technical and because he's so good on the ball, the ball does stick to him a little bit, and I think if you released it a half second sooner, he'd be just that much better. But man, he's so good. He's so good. If the U.S. can get him back into this group, into the fold for March, that's going to be a huge boost, a huge boost for the final World Cup qualifying window. And, and I, I, as someone who just watches a ton of, of U.S. men's national team games, the games are more fun when Giorena is playing. He's also a player for me that, that did used to lack some maturity. 
he may still, I don't know, because it's been so long since we've seen him playing consistent minutes, but there was the time he has the off-ball foul that leads to a goal being taken back. I think that was when they were playing Leipzig a few seasons ago. Uh, his body language has always been a thing that I think is the source of much conversation, both positive and negative, but he does not hide his frustration. He does not hide when he thinks he should have gotten a call, when he thinks he should have gotten a pass, uh, when he thinks sh- somebody should have done something differently. I think he he shows that, and... When I first saw it, I personally thought it was a negative thing. I don't love when players do that. I don't love when players are pointing at each other and yelling at each other. But watching him do it routinely, I've come to believe that it's more a product of where he has played and the demanding nature of the systems that he plays in, that you can't afford to make big mistakes. You can't afford to dawdle on the ball or, or take a shot when you should have passed or passed when you should have shot. I think there is a strong push at Dortmund to play as an individual but function as a good teammate and when you don't you're going to hear about it I think Erlen Holland has kind of taken him under his wing or literally under his arm on multiple occasions to talk to him about some <laughs> of his decision making so I think he has matured a little bit but I also think that's just a nature of where he plays and how strongly competitive that team might be so less of a con- concern but if we see him get a red card for an off-ball foul in a world cup I'm not going to be thrilled. Uh, Graham, any more positives for Reyna or any other negatives before we talk about positioning? I, I don't know. Joe, did you notice the... I just presume that you looked through the FB ref stat sheet as as I did before mm-hmm. this. Did you see the imbalance in where he plays his passes? Which I, I don't really have a theory behind it. So he's he's in the 83rd percentile for passes to the right. But in, for but but with passes to the left, he's in the twelfth percentile, which is an a, a almighty drop off. And initially, I thought, well, that's related to where he's playing. He's playing on the left for Dortmund, but he he played just as often in the middle for them last season, and almost as much on the right as well. So I don't really know what that tells us. Uh, I just thought it was pretty notable. It stood out like a sore thumb on the on on the stat sheet that yeah. he is uh, much more likely to play the ball to the right than to the left. So are you talking about the passes attempted and then it's got parentheses either right or left? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so those are those are foot, right? So if he's playing a huge number of percentages with with ah, right, that's right, right okay. footed versus that left footed, much more sense. <laughs> Which does make sense, given that he is a right footed player. So I think that imbalance. I'm guessing you'd find that in a lot of players. Yeah, of course, that makes so much more sense. I thought that was direction of <laughs> passes. They should get that in there. Direction, do it. Stats bomb. They should get on it. One other negative that we should probably mention uh, very briefly would just be injury status in terms of what he's bad at. Staying healthy, uh, at least of late, has been one of those things. And that is not maybe fair to mention because I don't want to blame a person for getting injured. These things happen. But there's a reason why we kind of forgot how good he was and can be. It's because we haven't seen him in forever. And when we're talking about what do we need to see from him, where does he fit in with the team, how does he make the team better, being in the team is a way he makes the team better. So that is, it's not a knock, it's just a statement of fact that like we need him to be healthy for a a prolonged period of time. Because even Joe, as you mentioned, he has the 30-minute cameo, and then he's sick, and then he's out again. And it's just, there's a feeling, at least in my mind, that... It's erratic in his fitness, erratic in his health. The prolonged uh, recovery from the hamstring injury that he suffered in September. All of these are questions that maybe, again, are unfair to ask, but I feel like have to at least be mentioned that we haven't seen him a ton this season, and that's not an ideal thing as we prepare for a World Cup. Yeah, I mean, he's got my hammies now, though, so hopefully that's we're going to be that's we're gonna be seeing a lot more of Gio Reyna for the rest of this year. Well said, Joe Lowry. Then, that begs the final question. Where would you like Gio Reyna and your donated hamstrings to play for the U.S.? Joe, you had him on the right wing. Uh, I'm I'm assuming that means that you won't be playing Tim Weah, which I, I'm assuming causes you physical pain to not start Timothy <laughs> Weah. Uh, but yeah, Gio Reyna, a right winger for the U.S. Gio Reyna on the right, and, and au contraire, I will be playing Timothy Weah, and I will be playing him on the Ooh. left until we see Christian Pulisic in better form. And I... Let me back up. I have the luxury to say this because I don't have to talk about this with Christian Pulisic, and I don't have to deal with the ramifications of not starting Christian Pulisic in the U.S.'s lineup. Greg Baralter does. So until I am Greg Baralter, and I don't think that's ever going to happen, that'd be really strange, until I am Greg Baralter and until I see Christian Pulisic in better form more consistently, I am very tempted, very tempted to start Gio Reyna on the right, Timothy Weah on the left, and use Christian Pulisic as a, a super sub. I'm also fine to to start Christian Pulisic and bring Timothy Weah off the bench. I just have concerns if you know if Pulisic isn't moving in behind the back line because Graham, you mentioned that is a strength of his. 
but he hasn't really been doing a whole lot of it with the U.S. recently. If he's not moving and Reyna isn't providing any verticality on that right side, which is not something he does a ton, then I'm not sure you love the the lack of real depth that your wing guards are providing in that particular situation. So I like yeah. Reyna on the right. I'm also fine with him in central midfield. I'm also fine with him on the left. Just get him on the field, guys. That, that's, that's the trouble right now with the U.S. is the, the two marquee attackers are obviously Pulisic and, and Reyna. But the way Pulisic is, is playing right now, I, I'm not entirely sure that you can put the both the two of them in the same team. Certainly, if it's if it's a if it's a, a front three, you know, if it's a four two three one, I think you could maybe have Reyna as, as the as the central um, attacking midfielder. You have Pulisic on the left, way on the right, and then a central for, a centre forward. But then you're having to drop one of the MMA from midfield, which is messing with maybe the only set unit of of the whole team, um, which is not ideal. So. I, I would at the moment go with uh, Wea and Reina. I'm not sure what sides. I think you would switch them in the in the match during the match anyway. You would have Wea on the left at points and Reina on the left and Wea on the right and Reina on the on the right. So yeah, I, I would go for Wea and Reina right now. Joe, I'm sure in a pinch, if Eunice Musa or Weston McKinney were injured, we could find a way to get Gio Reina into that midfield. But as Graham said, I, I, Graham, I had the same thing. Like if they wanted to do that, in my mind, it's basically the U.S. moving to a four-two-three-one, and then Reina is playing as that sort of central creative attacker. Is that why we're unlikely to see him played centrally for Greg Berhalter? You think because it would require a little bit of a system change? I don't really see him popping in there as the Yunus Musa replacement and doing all of the things that Yunus Musa does. I think of as more I think of him as more of an attacking player than I do an all-around midfielder. Yeah, just like we talked about last week with Zardes maybe needing someone else around him, and I, I posited that a 4-2-3-1 might be the best fit because we've seen that from him at club level. We've seen him, him in a 4-2-3-1 at club level. I don't think it's likely for Zardes. I don't think it's all that likely for Reyna either. I, I would slide him a little bit deeper and have him do more of the Yunus Musa kind of stuff. If you're going to play him in central midfield, I don't think I would play him as a 10. And I, I maybe the big reason for that is just because I don't think Berhalter will do that. And I don't think he will change the shape to a 4-2-3-1. But I think Reyna can do that stuff. I think he can drive the ball forward. I think he can be a really valuable defensive presence if you can get him up for it in that particular game. I, I like the idea of him playing as an 8 in a 4-3-3 and not really having to change a whole lot of the shape. Wow. All right. So we we could see this happen. We could see Giorena starting with Joe's hamstrings as the number eight. More likely we see him starting on the right, but maybe even the left. Greg Barhalter's got a lot to figure out, it turns out. Uh, we have less to figure out when it comes to these five players. Uh, we've we've talked about them in depth. We've now covered 11 players in the pool. We're going to keep going uh, until we cover as many as we feel like covering. And so basically we're getting into... Uh, players who probably are not going to play for the U.S. anytime soon. But until then, gentlemen, thank you very much for doing all the research, for checking all the stats, uh, Joe for donating body parts, uh, Graham for giving <laughs> us your Scottish ranking index. It has been wonderful. Sure. Joe Lowry, thank you for all that you have done. Right back at you, Taylor. And Graham Ruthven, thank you as well, my friend. Thank you, Taylor. Listeners, thank you all so much for listening. We'll talk to you all again very soon. <laughs> 